In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Thank you for joining me this morning to worship our Lord, our resurrected Lord and Savior, and to join me for what St. John of Kronstadt called the world-saving liturgy, the world-saving divine liturgy, in which, as I often like to say, heaven and earth meet, they intersect right here in this beautiful liturgy that we offer together. Today in the Holy Orthodox Church, we celebrate the memory of the fathers of the Fourth Ecumenical Council. If you cringe when you hear the names F.T. Keys and Dioscoros, it's with good reason. But most people probably don't know those names. But um, I'll give a little summary of the significance of the Council, just brief, very brief, and then just reflect a little on the messages from today's Epistle and Gospel reading. This council, the Fourth Ecumenical Council, took place in Chalcedon in the 5th century, in the year 451. And it meant to, meant to add great, greater clarity to the Christ, Christian articulation of, of who Christ is. And you may remember that very, very important question that Christ asked to his disciples, which is just the lingering question resounding really to all of us and to all of humanity. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who we say that he is, is incredibly significant. And so they wanted to talk about once again, who we say that Christ is. Because... Some others were presenting a what would be considered a new gospel or a different gospel than that presented by the Orthodox faith. So they came to discuss what the academics would call Christology. Christology, the study of Christ and who Christ is. I like that word study, but I'll get into it a little bit. In the life of the church, we don't experience Christology and theology and soteriology, the study of salvation, and pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, and all those ologies. We don't just do them academically. Our goal is to experience them. Experience them. That which is beyond maybe articulation for someone of a finite mind like me, is not limited um, to knowledge alone. That which is beyond articulation is not limited to knowledge, but unbounded to the one who seeks to become the dwelling place of God. And in the church... Our goal is to become, as you know, living temples of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that the Lord would grant us wisdom to articulate the faith in the way it needs to be articulated at any given place and at any given time. So that we could become 
to use the words of St. Paul. I love this word, but it's a frightening one. Theodidakti. Theodidakti. Theos means God, and didakti means those who were taught by. So we desire to be as those who were taught by God. Not speaking from a false confidence. Actually speaking out of great awe and wonder before the uncreated one who somehow uses this very small and broken vessel at times to communicate words of truth. And such were those over 600 who gathered to discuss and pray about some issues that arose at the time. It's interesting that the timeline of the church year worked out so that last Sunday we commemorated St. Ephemia, you remember? She was kind of the, she was the deal breaker, you know? There was a, during, during her miraculous intervention. I won't explain that story again since I did it last week. But having dealt with Nestorius, in the previous council, the third council, who essentially claimed that there were two persons dwelling within the body of Jesus. God and man individually. This fourth council came to address the issue of the pendulum swing in the completely opposite direction of you taken by a certain F. Tikis, who claimed that Christ, in Christ, there was a single nature, a kind of God-manhood, making him neither fully God nor fully man, but kind of a new hybrid kind of being. Somehow, when he came down and took on the flesh, the humanity was almost like disappeared or absorbed into the divinity. Neither fully God nor fully man, as a sensitive corrective to both extremes. Both extremes. The discerning fathers met and not without toil to articulate what has come to be known as the Chalcedonian definition, explaining that Christ is one person in two natures. One person, two natures, and they said, without confusion, without change without division, and without separation. Fully God, fully man, perfectly both, united in one. Only in God can the, can the limits of numerical be, distinction be overcome. Two can be one in the person of our Lord Jesus. As can three in the persons of the Trinity. We know that. Three Distinct hypostases, persons, united in one, in a perfect communion of love, in a way that's been revealed to us so that we can say something about it. We can know something about it without claiming to completely understand it. Our God is beyond comprehension, but He's revealed Himself because He loves us so much. And He wants to be known, not only intellectually, I know a lot of it sounds um, invigorating to you who, who um, are philosophically minded maybe or maybe uh, esoteric to those who are more practical. But in fact, 
I, I truly believe that it is practical in some of these things. It doesn't mean that you have to be an expert on the articulation of all the nuances of the faith. Um, if, you, if you come to trust the church in her teaching. Why does this matter? Why is it significant? Because we can never separate our view of who Christ is from our view of how we are saved. We can never separate our Christology from our soteriology. This means that the Christian belief and the articulation of it are based on the experience of salvation. There's a relationship between our beautiful articulation of the faith and our experience of it. The experience proves and upholds the articulation and also our experience must be tested against the articulations of the faith of those who have come before us. Sometimes we have very deep personal experiences that confirm our faith. But also we have deep, personal, unique experiences that oppose it. What are we to do with those? We've all heard that friend or or ourselves, I'm strongly feeling led to whatever it may be. Maybe Eftikis was strongly feeling led to espouse a heresy in an intimate, personal way. What do you do? What do you do? You turn to people that I like to refer to as truth tellers in our lives. We need truth tellers in our lives. We're afraid of them because they tell us the truth. Not just what we want to hear. I was talking to someone recently, pastorally. This is every, every time they got together, the bishops, educate, wise, educated, prayerful, monastic, all those things that make them seem very distinct. They did this because they loved the church. Not just because they like pontificating. They love the people of God. They were the shepherds of the church and they were striving to keep the church united. I was recently having a conversation with someone, kind of joking a little bit, but also there's truth in every joke, as they say, you know. And I was talking about how people seek counsel these days. And sometimes you get, there's this impression that people seek counsel when they think they're going to receive the counsel that they'd like to hear. Otherwise, they avoid seeking it out. <laughs> maybe I'll just ask my friend instead, you know. Maybe I'll just watch Oprah instead of reading St. John of Damascus today. <laughs> I don't want to hear what St. John says. I'm not trying to condemn Oprah or anything, but <laughs> you may like her show. <laughs> but we need to be careful about that. We really need to be aware. Where do we go to find our, to seek truth and to orient ourselves to what is real? And if we seek out wisdom or guidance from another, do we trust them enough to hear what they have to say, even if it's not what we want to hear? And then this is a part of dying to yourself, the dying to yourself that Christ was talking about, that we're not autonomous beings. We live with this incredible sense of individualism and 
what I've called the myth of autonomy, you know, in this day and age. Especially because we're so non-local, we're so non-rooted, we just, we leave any relationships change, our, our world is changing so much, it makes us feel so unrooted in relationships. And if you don't have deep abiding relationships, who can you trust? Your instincts, maybe, or you know how you go back to how you read the Bible, or which fathers you like to read, or something like that. Maybe if you're, you know, in, into spiritual reading. But my point is this: that when we are seeking out a bit of wisdom, when we're struggling and we need help, part of our healing comes in learning that there are those who are truth tellers in our life to whom we need to listen, we need to trust. And it's not a cop-out if they tell you, be patient to be patient. doesn't mean they just don't know. Maybe they don't, but be patient. Wait on the Lord. If you're not sure, pray like these fathers did. They, they were at an impasse in this council. You may not recall. They were at an impasse. They fasted and prayed for three days because they just couldn't get it on their own. They were getting there. They needed it. God's intervention, and he gave it to them. If we truly long for the answers that only God can provide, either he'll grant us clarity through patient, prayerful trust in him, or he'll grant us the strength and the courage to cultivate patience, 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 and wait on him, and trust that he'll reveal to us and he'll give us what we need to know when we need to know it, It's not weakness to pause and wait on the Lord at times. It actually proves to him that he can trust us with what it is that he wants to reveal to us. Rather than wielding it like, you know, like a sword, like the truths that we have sometimes. We just, we we wield them with such boldness at times and we need to. Any truth is God's truth. Anything that's real An absolute is something unworthy of me even to access. So when God reveals something to me, like that he loves me, let me not use that over, or or, or that the church is the true church. Let me not use that ever over and against other people or despite them especially. But with humility. We, the Orthodox, we understand that it's by living in Christ whom we call the God-man, that we can be united with God. It's through Christ that we grow into the likeness of God. The unconfused union of divinity and humanity in the person of Christ becomes the foundation of the Christian's unconfused union with God. Our favorite saying of St. Athanasius the Great, God became man so that we might become God, so that we might become what he is so that we might become by grace what he is by nature, not eternal and absolute. We will never be as uncreated. But he brought us into existence to bring us into an unconfused union with him. And that's why he experienced an unconfused union of divinity and humanity in himself. So this leads me to the exhortation provided in both of today's readings. An exhortation not only to believe the right things, 
to be illumined, not just to be illumined, but also to illuminate, to shed light upon the world in which we live. That's our calling as Christians. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What if I lived in such a way that my light so shined with the radiance of humble hope in Christ in love for others that someone might see my good works not as a show of pietism, but as something real and that they would glorify, they would want at least to know what's going on there. If not, to just come to church with me. Can I come to church with you on Sunday? You know, that doesn't really happen. Usually it's the watering, the cultivating of the seeds that happen. And we heard in the epistle to Titus, this is a faithful saying. These things I want to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Our beliefs are demonstrated by our lives. Doing flows from being. You will know them by their fruits, our Lord said. Uh Uh-oh. And so, we have a missionary calling as Christians in the world. This calling is to be as leaven and to be as light into the world. Even a city on the hill that cannot be hid. I've heard it said that Christianity, I think this was from an early church quote, and I haven't haven't been able to find it yet, but it, it hit me really hard back when I was in college studying theology, I've heard it said that Christianity has become like a harmless ingredient in the world. What a sad thought. Could or has Christianity become like a harmless ingredient in the world, lost in the amalgam of everything else? Our preferences and our opinions, our disingenuous niceness and deference. Hi. But we're, we're not just called to niceness so as to not offend others. And, but we're called with an apostolic calling to let our lights so shine among men that they may glorify our Father in heaven. So I want to recommend a few steps in this process as we conclude today. First, we have to fulfill our humanity by way of glorifying God in ourselves. Glorify God in our lives. So to realize that we're called to worship Him. And that's the Christian way. First and foremost, prayer and the worship of our Creator. This is our mode of existence. And we're, we're called to be, to use scientific terminology, homo adorans. The worshiping man. The adoring man. Those who adore the Creator and give thanks to Him in all things. If our call is to let our light shine so that others may see our works and glorify our Father in heaven, then we should glorify Him first. Father Alexander Schmemann said, In the Bible, to bless God is not a religious or a cultic act, but the very way of life. Did you hear that? To bless God, to worship Him, not just some religious tangent or occultic act, but the very way of life, all rational, spiritual, and other qualities of man, distinguishing him from other creatures, have their focus and ultimate fulfillment in his capacity to bless God, to know, so to speak, the meaning 
of the thirst and hunger that constitute his life. Homo sapien, man who knows. Homo faber, working or creative man, yes, but first of all, first of all, homo adorans, the worshiping and adoring man who's worshiping and adoring God. The first and basic definition of man is that he's the priest, that he stands at the center of the world and unifies it in his act of blessing God, of both receiving the world from God and offering it to God, worshiping God. Two, having been reoriented to God by way of faith, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we become a light unto others by serving them. We worship God. We serve others. They will know we are Christians by our love. But not necessarily by our philosophy of love. We live in the day and age of disembodied minds. Depersonalizing others, especially with the way we cultivate our identity on the internet. We have spirituality with commitment, without commitment, sorry. Disembodied minds, spirituality without commitment. And we as Christians, we can recommit our mind and our spirit to being united with our bodies and even sanctify them by way of fulfilling the commandments of Christ. We cannot forget that Jesus took on a body and united the flesh, the physical to the spiritual, because this is our life. And it gives our life in the flesh meaning. So therefore, every action that we do, if it is an offering to God, men and women alike, is a priestly action. Receiving from God and offering to Him constantly in our lives. It's a consciousness that we can cultivate, but we have to work at it. But it's the best. It's worth working on. When we offer our activities to Him in service of our neighbor, we bear witness to the light of Christ that illumines all. Worshiping God, becoming a light to others by serving them, and another really important one. Inasmuch as we bear witness to Christ with our good works, we also need to connect the dots and bear witness to Him with our speech, spoken and written. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and a protecting door about my lips. We hear that every vespers. We need to be willing to speak and write, to articulate in a manner that is befitting of the gospel and the truth that we claim is so real to us at the core of our being. We should bear witness to him in our speech. It seems that in this day and age, you've heard people say it, words seem to have lost their meaning. Through lack of intention and through overuse, Consider the word Jesus, for example. When I was in the secular workplace, that was one of the most common words I heard when people were upset. Jesus. I couldn't believe I never heard anyone say 
oh, Buddha or something like when they got mad. But for some reason they said, so I, I had hope like maybe deep, deep down inside they know they're really crying out to God when they say, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, score, you know, I don't know. But the word Jesus, to some, it means a myth. We don't know that he was really there. Did he really exist? To some, a historical figure. To others, an object of devotion. To us, who do men say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah, ruler over all. Look up, look. Lift your eyes up and you'll see him who we believe in the film. Pantocrator, ruler over all, and the God-man. Come, Theanthropos, the God-man. Not just a historical figure, not just an object of devotion to us, the God-man. The one whose love is the energy at the root of all of our life, who united the corrupt to the incorrupt, us to him. In order for words to have meaning, they have to correspond to reality. And for us to invoke the name of Jesus means to identify him as who he is. Son of God and son of man. Our Savior, our Lord and our King. And that's why we think it is with such great power, actually. And without any ounce of vanity that we who have come to know him, should say his name as calling upon the very God-man. When we say Lord Jesus, we mean him. Not a figment, not an idea, not a projection. We're calling upon the God-man when we say Jesus. And that's why in the church, we see the name of Jesus as powerful, as revealed to God, the name by which we are to refer to him. To invoke the name of Jesus means to identify him as who he is. Everything to us. When we glorify God in ourselves, when we worship him, we become that living temple. We actively seek to love others as Christ loved us. Even our words can have an incarnational quality. Even our words can be a source of life, light and truth. To others. They can serve to reveal the restored relationship between creator and creation. And to serve as a source of light to the world. So let us go forth, beloved. Let us go forth this week. Glorifying God. Glorify him. Worship him. Adore him. Bearing witness to him by way of our kindness to others. And let us seek to be intentional about the words we use, that our words would be authenticated by our actions and our way explained with our speech, that we might become, in our own little way, like those luminous stars on earth whom we commemorate today, to the glory of his holy name. Amen.